we're going to continue our series called Called Out. And in Called Out, we're really looking at the fact that each one of us has a calling on our lives. I was uh, in Fort Wayne a couple of weeks ago with some people from here, uh, just discerning. We go probably every six months down to Fort Wayne to group up with a bunch of other churches to discern what is God doing in our context and how do we listen to Jesus' voice and follow him and obey. And someone who came with us was Jeff Lothamer. And he was actually here a few Sundays ago. Maybe you had a chance to hear from him about what he's doing in Bister, England. And uh, just awesome things. He and his wife and his family moved out there. Um, was it 10 years ago or something like that? I forget all the numbers. But he moved out there a while ago. And when they went over there, they, they didn't really have a plan of what they were going to do. They just knew that God was calling them to that people. And they began to go, okay, here's what God is calling us to. Um, here's the gifts he's given us. How can we use these gifts to be a blessing to the town that we've been sent to? He definitely now has a call after several years of trying to discern that. Where is Jesus leading? How am I responding? And now you look at his life and you go, wow, there's a man with a call. There's a couple and a family who has a calling on their life and they're living it out. And that's just really inspiring to see. And we go, well, he's a missionary. That's what he's doing. But when we were baptized, those who are baptized are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that fills each of us, right? We are filled with the missionary God. We're filled with the heart of the God who is a missionary and who came to earth to bless it, to be a blessing to the world that he made. And each of us is a product of that. The fact that we're here in this room is, is evidence of the fact that God is a missionary God who has extended himself into the world to bless us and to fill us with his love convict our hearts by faith and to turn us back towards him so we could have a relationship with him. And in turn, he fills up to that same heart to go out and be a blessing to the world. And I would think that most of us are on the same page about this, that we are probably Christians in some respect that we believe that God's kingdom should come to earth. And we want to see that happen. We want to see his goodness and his love and his justice and his peace come over all the earth. But when we realize that starts with us, there's a little fear that I think happens. At least it happens in me. When I go, I really want the kingdom of God to come in the world. But when I go, oh wait, that has to happen in my life. It feels a little scary. I don't know how that happens. I just kind of go about my business. You know, I just kind of, especially me, I work at a church. You know, like I just go about my business doing Christian things, identifying with Christian people. And when God's like, actually, my kingdom needs to advance through my church, through you, it's like, uh, how is that going to happen? How does that happen? I'm a little bit scared of that happening, of stepping out of my comfort zone. And I want to uh, assure you that it was the same case for the disciples. Jesus came to a bunch of very religious, they were definitely in their comfort zone, in this religious bubble, very much like West Michigan maybe. And came to those people and said, I'm going to lead you into something new. And so I want to uh, show you a story about this. And since we have a little bit extra time, I think what I'll do, um, first of all, calling lab plug. I forgot this. Hey, we were part of a series called Called Out. If you're trying to figure out what your calling is, check out vpm.org slash calling lab. I've actually been amazed at some of the people who are part of this right now. It's basically like a group of people who are getting emails every morning, uh, devotionals and some video content and are part of like a Facebook group if you're into Facebook and we talk about our call and we discern what is God calling us to so 
if you're interested in joining that, join that in. Back to where I was. Um, we're going to read from Mark uh, 35 through 4:35 through 5:2. So you can get out your Bibles. I'm going to read this nice and slowly, and I want you to pay attention to something that sticks out to you, that uh, resonates with you, that kind of lights up. Maybe it feels like it's written with a highlighter or something, a word or a phrase. And then I want you to prepare to, we did a little bit of sharing this morning already about what we're thankful for. We said hi to the person next to us, so they shouldn't be a total stranger by this point, maybe a a non-threatening stranger at the very least. Um, And I want you to turn to somebody and just say what stuck out to you. You don't have to go through all the like, this is why, if you don't want to, but just say which part of it stuck out to you and uh, reflect with that person about the scripture. Since we have some extra time, I thought we'd do that. So this is Mark 4, 35 through 5, 2. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. So they were in Galilee. Okay, they're in Galilee. And other side means other side of the Sea of Galilee, just to give you some context. Um, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. So as I read that out loud, why don't you just identify a word or phrase that seems to strike you and turn to your neighbor and share what that was. Maybe your response is, nothing strikes me. And that's okay. All right? So go ahead, turn to your neighbors, and I'll give you 30 seconds. All right, how was that? Is that painless, hopefully? Um, This is an amazing story, I think. And usually when I've heard this story told, um, it's been around, you know, hey, the disciples encountered this storm, and Jesus quiets the storm. When there's storms in our lives, Jesus quiets the storm too. Okay, and that is true. Um, In fact, this isn't uh, just any storm. Uh, if you were to research the average depth of Sea of Galilee and the, the place where it is sitting elevation-wise and the way that the, the warm air rises from the lake and the cool air comes over the mountains and storms can come up really, really fast, 
and you would find out that waves on the Sea of Galilee can reach up to 10 feet of, of white caps. And there were just little tiny 14-foot fishing vessels, you know, from me to that little corner thing, okay? So tiny little boats, they're all crammed in there. Jesus is sleeping, I don't know how. Huge waves threatening to capsize the boat, of course. It's this tiny little first-century boat, okay? And the disciples are afraid. Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm going to calm the storm so that we can get through this, right? And he does that in our lives. But there's actually a much bigger context going on in Mark, that if we're not aware, we kind of miss the whole point of this story. Uh, Matt talked um, last week about, if you remember, the whole uh, family on mission, where he was talking about Jesus' spiritual family, how there was this crowded house and they forgot to eat. And Do you guys remember this? And, um, and there was, his family was outside kind of saying, uh, Jesus, we think you're kind of going insane here because you seem to be doing, going off the rails and calling people your family who's not your family. And what's happening there is uh, Jesus is establishing a new, new system, a new family system. And he begins to teach them from there on. Um, he begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed that gets planted in you. And then it grows and grows and grows until it can house all the birds of the air. And then Jesus says, let's cross to the other side. Let's cross the other side. What is the other side? The other side is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And on the western side, where all the Jews lived, was Jewish territory. This was Israel. This was the place where Jesus did like 75% of his ministry in this little tiny area. And this is a very religious bubble. Okay? They, they, all the kids here grew up knowing that you do not go to the other side of the lake. That's where the Gentiles live. That's where the heathens live, the pagans, the wicked people. They all live there, and we can... We can see them kind of doing their wicked things and we're staying away because that's what God's people do is they stay away from that kind of stuff. And Jesus is saying, parable of the mustard seed, actually the kingdom of God is growing and expanding and I want you to follow me to the other side. And the disciples are freaking out, which is mirrored in the storm, right? Here are these huge waves and yes, it's a natural storm, but it's also mirroring and giving a symbol of the disciples' resistance to go to the other side. They are freaking out. They've never been to the other side. They have no idea what's going to happen there, and they do not want to go. Right? And I think this is probably true in our own lives, too, that when Jesus asks us to cross some boundaries and to get out of our comfort zone, we kind of flip out, and we probably create natural and supernatural barriers to us actually getting over there. I know this is true in my own life. I mean, I was raised in a Christian household, in a pastor's family, in a little tiny valley um, on the other side of, uh, so in the San Francisco Bay. Um, I lived on East Bay, over the hills of Oakland, in this little tiny protected valley. And uh, it was a wealthy, primarily white uh, town. And my dad was the pastor of a really nice church there. And we would go on mission trips and stuff, but I remember when I was a kid, we'd go over to San Francisco and literally cross the bay, maybe just like the disciples, and I'd go over there. I remember uh, a few times my dad, we, we'd be, like, be coming back late, and my dad would always like walk way ahead of us because he has to do this thing of walking ahead of everybody. But I remember would, we'd be trying to get back to the public transit, and we'd be passing uh, homeless people who were living on the streets. And uh, I remember just feeling really afraid of those people, um, scared. 
of people who were in a different class than me, who looked different than me, who had a different living situation, maybe a different race than me or a different whatever religion than I had. I remember walking past those people and just having this fear. I don't know what they're going to do to me or, you know, I was scared. I was a kid, you know. But that stayed with me as I grew up. And um, I realized that reflecting back, as much as I had examples of people crossing boundaries in the Christian circles that I was in, for me, Christianity was mostly Christianity by proxy. That I was a Christian because I hung out with Christian people, with good people who were nice. And I was a Christian because um, there were certain people who were not Christians, and then there was the people who were Christians, and I belong with those people. And I think that I was living in an environment that a lot of us probably grew up in. Um, a lot of us would call ourselves maybe Protestants. There's some people here who are from a Catholic perspective, but back in Protestant Reformation, if I can do a little bit of church history, Tom, thank you, uh, you might be correcting me, I don't know. But in the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, 95 Theses, right, like this madness has to stop with all this religious rituals and all this stuff, um, they said it's not just by these deeds that we become Christians, these rites and rituals that we have to pass through, it's actually by a commitment by faith, it's about our hearts, it's about believing in our hearts that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And that was a really good correction for the church in that point. But through the Protestant Reformation, I think we kind of swung to the other side, that now we are in this space where it's all about our hearts and has nothing to do with what we do with our lives or what kind of boundaries are crossed, whether we're actually putting ourselves in situations where we're able to extend the good news and be part of the kingdom of God advancing in the world. And so I was growing up in a place where, you know, it's about purity, the purity of my actions, you know, and, um, and the intentions of my heart, which can always be kind of corrected, right? Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I had better intentions, right? And I, I determine which of my intentions are righteous or not. Um, my beliefs um, are, are very personal. Personally held beliefs are valued. Um, the feelings that I have of, of spiritual bliss and withdrawal from the problems of the world, right? Um, the fact that I'm saved by a prayer that's for me, you know, that's true that we are saved by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but the fact that it's consolidated into that, that our salvation is just about a prayer that I pray for myself, God, would you save me, kind of indicates my own individualism, right? Our withdrawal back into my heart. Um, the beliefs that I have that are built, built and built through knowledge, right? I can continually build my own beliefs through absorbing more Christian knowledge. That's really what... The, how I would define the circle of my faith growing up, and I wonder if you guys, if any of you would, would identify with that. Um, but that's what it was for me. And um, I want to read you this quote from Mark Laberton, who wrote a book called, called uh, Around Which a lot of this uh, series is based. He says, We can and do hide in our hearts, relieving ourselves of the burden of falling short, of failing to do what we could have done, or of doing what we did. If we just claim a better, truer heart, it quiets the harassing noise of guilt. This priority on the heart allows us to believe that if we feel care in our hearts, then we are caring. This is convenient, but wrong. Care includes our hearts, but it needs to show up in flesh and blood, time and energy. So you see the disciples in their religious bubble, in their Jewish religious bubble going, we are Jewish because we go to synagogue on Sunday, because 
We obey the purity laws because we go to temple, all this stuff. This is what makes us Jewish. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what I intended you for, ever. The Jews were supposed to be a light to the nations. Christians are intended to be a light to the nations. And yet we end up being kind of this insular, self-contained bubble that's trying to ride it out until heaven. It's never what it was intended to be. And so I want to show you how this story of them crossing the lake is really part of a larger narrative of Jesus leading them out of their bubble, out of the comfort zone, very intentionally. If you read Mark chapter 1 through about 8, you'll see a lot of crossings and movement stuff. And if you read it um, just as individual passages, you go, wow, they're just doing all this random motion. But I actually mapped it out. Uh, I geeked out this week, okay? <laughs> I tracked all their like, major mo- motions because I wanted to figure out what, what Jesus was doing. What, what's he doing when, in, in this uh, passage in Mark? So I don't know if you can read this. Okay, I'm sorry for people who um, have trouble. You know, maybe colorblind people can't distinguish between red and green. Maybe you know, people with glasses can't see the small numbers. But basically, let me describe this to you. Uh, this is the Sea of Galilee. It kind of looks like Lake Tahoe. It's a little bit smaller than Lake Tahoe, but um, uh, this is the Sea of Galilee. And up in the far uh, northwest side is Capernaum in that corner. And there's a little star right there. And you'll see an arrow, a red arrow coming down with number one. This is the story I just read. They crossed the lake and they went down to the Gerasenes. And that was the first journey across the lake for the disciples. And I put it as red because there was a storm. And the disciples were resistant. They get to the other side, to the Gerasenes. It says, Jesus got out of the boat. It does not say the disciples got out of the boat, which I think is interesting. I wonder if the disciples are sitting in the boat on the shore, just kind of like, like, uh, I don't want to go out there. And uh, there's a scary man shouting at us. Um, So maybe they're hiding in the boat. You know, if not, they're totally unmentioned. So they're not participating. They're over the Gerasenes. And Jesus heals the man with the, uh, the legion of demons, and he casts it into the pigs. Okay, there's nothing more Gentile than a man in a cemetery with demons who get cast into pigs that fall into the sea. Okay, there's nothing more Gentile than that. And the disciples are probably like traumatized here. They're freaking out. They see all this happen, and, and then they cross back over, right? They go back over to Jewish territory, and they're like, oh, whew, that's over, Right? And they come back over. So you see a two going back over to Gennesaret. They go back over. That's where, they, where Jesus uh, heals the woman with the blood issue and uh, Jairus' daughter. Okay? So they're, they're doing some more ministry. The disciples are following Jesus. And then Jesus says, hey, let's go to Nazareth, my hometown. So you see the arrow going down to Nazareth that way. Um, they get rejected at Nazareth. And then they come back up towards the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus sends the disciples out two by two. They go out in, in every town. He sends them out, but he does not send them out into Gentile territory. It's kind of a safe training zone. Okay? He's like, okay, just go out into, you know, like uh, non-threatening strangers, right? Same thing. Go, go out, minister to people. And then they go back up to the Capernaum area. Uh, not exactly Capernaum, but it's where he feeds the 5,000, right? And he lets the disciples help. Remember that? Jesus says, hey, you guys are going to help with this. Help with this. 
So this is also, just keep in mind, this is after having gone across the lake once and realizing how hard that was for the disciples. So he brings them back over to Gentile territory and gives them some training, gives them some more experience, says, all right, let's work through this. I'm going to train you guys up. Maybe you're not ready yet. Goes back into Capernaum, keeps training them. And now he's like, let's cross the other side of Bethsaida. This time you guys are going to go on ahead of me. Right? Now he's going to try the same thing, but now the disciples are trying it by themselves. And guess what? There's another storm. Coincidence? I think not. You guys ever notice that? So they go over to this side, to Bethsaida, and this is their next crossing into Gentile territory. Storm, freak out. They get stuck out there. Now Jesus walks on water to get out to them, meets them, calms the sea, and they go over to Bethsaida, do ministry over there. Once they get over to Bethsaida, whatever they were doing over there doesn't mention what they did, but then they come back over towards uh, Gennesaret again. So now they're in Gennesaret, and they do a little bit of ministry there, and then Jesus walks with the disciples way off up into Tyre, which again is Gentile territory. Okay? So he walks up. I put it in orange because it was, you don't, they actually make it. Okay? There's no storms or anything, but they are going to Gentile territory. Then they loop back down around to the Decapolis, and Jesus uh, uh, does ministry around there. What's really cool about this is when they go back into the Decapolis, there are now people who are looking for Jesus. How do they know about Jesus? Because he did ministry in the Gerasenes. It's not that far away. So this man in the Gerasenes was probably outcast from the Decapolis. And went, remember Jesus said, go back to the Decapolis and tell of what I did for you. So he goes back and, and now the people know who Jesus is. They've heard testimony of him and so they're asking for him to heal them. So he heals some people, and then they go to a remote region. We don't exactly where, know where that is, but we think that's around the Gerasenes again, between Gerasenes and Bethsaida. They feed 4,000 people, and now they cross back over to uh, Dalmanutha, which is right next to Gennesaret, which is, again, Jewish territory. I can imagine them going, the disciples going, oh, okay, we can just relax now um, because we're back here. But what happens in Dalmanutha is the Pharisees criticize Jesus, and Jesus, it's like literally Jesus steps off the boat. They criticize him for doing what he does. And then Jesus, it says, he sighed, got back into the boat, and guess where he goes? Bethsaida, which for Mark, again, is Gentile country. But this time, I put it in a green arrow because there's no storm. Isn't that interesting? So the first time, storm with Jesus. Then they go back and do ministry. Jesus trains them up. The second time, storm without Jesus. Okay, he's letting them do it by themselves. And then Jesus walks out to there and calms the sea, and now they go to Bethsaida. And then the third time, they go into Gentile country walking, which is almost like slow, right? I'm going to slowly inch you into Gentile territory this time. We won't go crossing a lake. We'll kind of go another way. So they actually made it this time with no storm, and then they go back to Gentile, and now they can make it in Gentile territory with no storm. Do you guys follow what I'm talking about? So what I see here going on is that Jesus is leading the disciples. Um, he's leading them from fear to faith. Like he says, don't be afraid. Where's your faith gone? He's leading them to fear, from fear to faith. The faith, not as a belief, like a belief system, but faith as in pastuo, the Greek pastuo of actually trusting and following me, putting yourself in step with me, following closely. He's leading them from fear to faith to believe that um, the kingdom of God is advancing even among the Gentiles. That 
if you want to see the kingdom of God really grow, if we really are serious about being a missionary for God, if you're really serious about being part of the kingdom mission that Jesus is on, it means crossing boundaries that make us uncomfortable. And it's really hard for us to swallow sometimes. It was hard for the disciples. It's been hard in my life. And so um, I see kind of just three, let me just pull out three basic things that I see Jesus doing through this story as he's leading back and forth across the lake. Three truths. First of all is Jesus does not see boundaries. Jesus doesn't see boundaries. So there's a scripture from Ephesians. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came, to, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We were once separated from God. As humans, there was a time where God needed to enter in and go, okay, I'm sending Jesus because this separation, I can't stand this anymore. I'm going to send Jesus to make a new covenant because I'm going to start calling humanity, you are now reconciled to me through Jesus. All of humanity is reconciled. That happened for all of us. And therefore, because Jesus decided to to not see barriers, to not see a barrier between him and humanity, to enter in and make one humanity in Christ. Because of that, we are now given the same ministry. So Jesus invites his disciples to follow him across boundaries. That's what he does. Not only does Jesus not see the boundary, so for the, for the disciples, they're seeing like, okay, this is my world, this is my comfort zone, this is my bubble, these are the people I hang out with. And Jesus is like, We need to break that because that's why I came. I came to show you that the kingdom of God is advancing over the entire world. And I've placed you in it. You can't turn a blind eye to it. I'm going to lead you across the things that you think are boundaries. I'm going to show you what it looks like. So um, so I want to show you like a little parallel. This is what Jesus calls all of his disciples to, is to the ministry of boundary crossing, to enter into uncomfortable places to go out of our comfort zone. So if you read the story in Mark, you'll notice there's huge parallels with Jonah. Let me, let me show you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Jonah, put in there, disciple, okay? Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent 
a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Does that sound familiar to the story we just read? There's a big storm. People start freaking out. Jonah's in the bottom of the boat, asleep, right? It's similar. It's not an accident. Mark is drawing a parallel to say every disciple is called, just like Jonah, to go into a place that is scary, and you're going to want to run the opposite way. Don't be like Jonah, who went the opposite way. Be like Jesus, who calms the storm and actually makes it to the other side. Eventually, Jonah does reluctantly obey the Lord and go back to Nineveh and preach good news, and they repent. That's what happens. But this is the call of every single disciple, to to move past our comfort zone, to move beyond our Christian bubble into the world that uh, feels uncomfortable for us. So Jesus does not see boundaries. Jesus invites his disciples to follow him across boundaries, and disciples progressively join Jesus in blessing people. Let me read the scripture. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So first of all, God calls us to see no boundaries either. When he says, therefore, if anyone is Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. He's talking to us about starting to view our neighbors as people for whom Christ has died. Starting to view our neighbors not as enemies or strange people or people we drive past or whatever, but people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who we want to be a part of reconciling them back to God. Okay? So they got, Jesus gives us the ministry of reconciliation because that's what he's about. Um, oh, I missed a part of this. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He has given us that same task of reconciling the world. Um, What I see in the disciples as they cross back and forth over this lake is they're really not doing very much. The first time time they go over the the, uh, garrisons, I'm imagining them just cowering in the boat watching Jesus. And they go back to the Jewish uh, territory and they're like, okay, okay, no, we're good. And they do some ministry, you know, they feel good about themselves, and then they go back over to Bethsaida. Again, there's no role the disciples play. Um, Even as they go to Tyre and uh, the Decapolis, the disciples are not doing anything other than just following Jesus. So I just want to put it out there that some of us may be afraid, including myself, of starting to cross those boundaries because we think, well, when I get there, do I have to then convert the people who are there? You know, what do I have to do? What am I going to have to say? And I just want to give you, I don't want to let you off the hook, but I also want to say that the disciples didn't do anything other than just follow Jesus into that place. It's okay to go across the street, introduce yourself to your neighbor, and just enjoy their presence. Just be with them and look for Jesus on the move. We trust that the Holy Spirit is already at work. It's not upon us to try to convert somebody, but that God is doing something already because that's what he does in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. He's already gone ahead of us. And we don't have to bear any of the guilt or any of the shame of trying to get somebody to say Jesus is their Savior. We can go in and just bless people 
be part of the healing and blessing ministry of Jesus and just enjoy other people who are different than us. And we'll see as God continues to unveil where he's working, what he's doing, we'll see opportunities to be a part of his good news and to work in it. And we're going to be open to that. But first and foremost, our call is to, um, like I said, um, progressively join Jesus in blessing people. Um, Jesus does not say, believe me, but rather follow me. This is a quote from Mark Laverton. He says, if we are going to pursue God's call, it's an act of trusting and following, of behaving and living in ways that reflect our life and purposes. We aren't saved by our actions, but we are saved for our actions to become those that make God's life in Jesus Christ visible. Mark starts off his whole gospel with a call from Jesus to follow him, to follow him, not just to believe in him, but to follow him with our every life, every waking moment of our lives. And so my question for us this morning is really simple. My question is this, what boundaries is Jesus leading me to cross? What boundaries is Jesus leading you to cross? And I don't mean leading you to cross like in... uh, prompting you to cross. I'm saying literally, how is he, just like he did with the disciples, leading them progressively across that lake to build in them a vision for what the kingdom of God really looks like? How is Jesus leading you across boundaries so that you can see the kingdom of God expand in your own life, in your own networks, in your own neighborhood, in your own work? So I would love to just ask you to reflect on that right now. Um, I can share some of my story. Um, I already shared about you know growing up in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, crossing over uh, that lake, that, that lake, that uh, San Francisco Bay, and seeing a lot of homeless people and being kind of afraid of that, but still living in a Christian community, you know? And I, when I went down to college, I remember there, I went to a Christian college, and there were opportunities, many opportunities, for me to go minister with homeless people, to go eat lunch with them. I remember um, some of my friends even went, and I had a resistance to that. Because I was afraid, for some reason, there was a storm in me about going and being a part of their lives, of, of, of identifying with them. Of, I was afraid. I don't know why I was afraid, but I was afraid because they felt different to me. Um, and this is the, uh, after college, this is the little apartment um, I lived in. This is shot afterwards when Rachel and I were living there as a married couple. But uh, after college, I moved into this little apartment, and I started, um, I was invited. Uh, actually, yeah, I was invited because uh, the youth group that I was helping to lead was going to part of this uh, homeless ministry called Philabelli. And, um, and so I was like, well, I got to go. I'm a youth leader. And, <laughs> and so I uh, began to have regular dinners with people that I would otherwise feel afraid of identifying with. And I got to know some of their names. And then I got to see, I noticed that they were actually walking around my town. That these people that I had, I guess they had been invisible to me. But now that I had dinner with them at a regular time, I realized that there's people who I pass every day that don't have homes, that have names. And I've just totally turned a blind eye to them. So I began to see those people and began to know their names and began to, to become friends with them. I realized, wow, like this is... I feel like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed right now in me that's starting to grow and becoming bigger than what I thought, growing me outside of my comfort zone. Um, and, and that's been 
that's totally changed the way that I see, um, see my faith. That's not so much um, uh, primarily about whether I, you know, who I identify with or you know, whether I go to church on Sundays, but how am I crossing boundaries for the sake of the gospel to extend love and friendship to people I otherwise wouldn't because Jesus has died for that person and Jesus loves that person and I'm called to love that person too, at least to know their names. <laughs> so I'll just extend this question one more time. What boundaries is Jesus leading you to cross? I already see this going on in our community. I see some of you relating to people who have different religions than you and uh, you're, fighting, you're fighting the urge to like, try to convert this person and just trying to sit in, how do I love someone who disagrees with me religiously? Um, I've talked to some of you who, who have neighborhood dinners, who invite neighbors over to your house or your driveway to build relationships and cross that barrier that can sometimes be there in suburban neighborhoods where you're extending relationships past the loneliness and into friendship with people that you would otherwise not identify with. Um, I've seen some of you visiting and befriending the poor, people without homes in Holland, um, to intentionally engage in relationships and build bridges of love and relationship. Um, there's some of you who are faithfully bringing your neighbors and friends to the hospital for uh, visits, for appointments, um, helping to pay for gas or whatever needs to happen, uh, laying down your lives for the sake of uh, people who need care. Um, I see some of you who have recently signed up to be new Kids Hope mentors. And I just want to say, like, way to go. That's causing all kinds of barriers. You've got age barriers. You've got uh, class barriers sometimes. Sometimes it's race barriers. Uh, Whatever it is, you are entering into an unfamiliar circumstance that might be scary, and you're doing it on behalf of the gospel to build relationships with the kids. And that's a gospel kingdom thing. Way to go. And the people who have already been doing that for 10, 13 years, uh, way to go. Um, People in this congregation who are visiting people who are in prison and caring for them, that's crossing a major boundary too. So I just want to just lead us in a reflective exercise right now. Uh, Maybe pull out a paper right now, and I want you to um, do some doodling, okay? Um, I don't see any papers coming out, so I'm assuming you guys don't have any papers or pen. I literally mean pull out a piece of paper right now. And we're just kind (laughs) of... I should hear ruffling of papers when I say that. Uh, I want to ask you this question, what boundaries is Jesus leading me to cross by having you draw a little sketch picture of your neighborhood and maybe some of the houses there in it and start to fill in in those houses uh, whose name do you know and whose name do you not know in your neighborhood. Maybe you've been living there for 20 years and you know all your neighbors or maybe you've been living for 20 years and you know none of your neighbors. Um, but that, just become aware of that. Where are the boundaries in your life but that you could discern by your actions? Where, where have I made boundaries about the people I identify with and the people I don't identify with? So that's in your neighborhood. So um, go ahead and just draw a sketch of your neighborhood. I'll give you some time to fill this out as we go. But I also want you to start doing another sketch, too, if it's applicable. Uh, your work. Maybe it's your cubicles at work or maybe it's your, uh, the hierarchy at work, the structure. Um, whose names do you know? Whose names do you not know? Who do you have great relationships with and who do you avoid? Who are you avoiding at your work and why? So just to become aware of some of those dynamics, where is the, that boundary? Just like in this, uh, in this picture I have of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, where is that boundary line for you? These are the people I, I'm willing to associate with and these are the people I'm not willing to associate with. 
And finally, and maybe you don't get all, to all of this right now. I'll give you some time to fill all, all this out, and maybe you take this home and continue the process. Um, I had this big whiteboard at home, and I just like drew a big picture of our neighborhood and just tried to fill in all the stuff I knew about our neighborhood to try to discern where the spirit's at work. So that's neighborhood, work. And finally, if this, this might be helpful for you, um, to identify the common boundaries that, that usually keep us from identifying people. So um, to list somebody um, that is a different race than you, people that, uh, can you name somebody that you are crossing boundaries of race with? Can you name someone that you're crossing boundaries of religion with? Can you name someone you're crossing boundaries of class with? And can you name someone you're crossing boundaries of politics with? Those are just some things off the top of my head, some common barriers, boundaries, some of those lines that we draw and say, I'm, I'm going to stay within my comfort zone. Um, just to become aware of, are there people in your life with, with whom you're crossing those boundaries in order to see the kingdom of God been manifest in new ways. So I'm just kind of lead us, let us have a time of reflection. I'll just invite the, the band forward um, and we'll just give some time of silence for you to just discern some of those things. And I hope to see you just pens scribbling on paper and um, just to reflect on where is Jesus leading you across boundaries in your life uh, for the sake of the growth of the kingdom of God. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are... Um, the great boundary crosser who left privileges in heaven. You had everything made for you and you definitely had a comfort zone of sorts being part of the Trinity and that um, you weren't content with that. You, um, you saw the pain of the world. You saw us crying out for a savior. You saw the need that we had, the hole in our hearts. You saw the ways we were rebelling against you and you decided to cross that barrier and to become one with us, to become a human, and to show us what it looks like to be reconciled to God, to welcome us back into your family. And um, you've entrusted us with the same mission. You've given us the same mission to follow you into the world, to be agents and ministers of reconciliation because the cross has limited all boundaries, that the veil has been torn, the grave is empty, and you have created a new humanity in Christ. And we want to be a part of that. So we're going to spend some time reflecting, Jesus, on um, the boundaries that we've set up in our own lives, the bubble that we've kind of placed ourselves in, and I pray as we do that, you would begin to kind of pop that bubble and you'd show us your imagination, your vision for your kingdom coming to the world in these relationships, in our very lives, that we don't have to be sent across the ocean, we can be sent across the street or the office. So may this be just a time of reflection and uh, a holy time of hearing from you.